you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. I promise this is the last sermon from Mark chapter 1. This is one of those amazing accounts of Jesus' life and ministry where he defies every social and religious norm of his day by touching and healing a leper. I am looking at chapter 1 beginning in verse 40. Uh, If you want to follow along in your Bibles, I think I've got it here on the PowerPoint. Uh, Let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word today if you can and are able. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he, Jesus, sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and you may be seated. I love this account from the life and the ministry of Jesus because in it he defies every social and religious norm of his day and he does the unthinkable. He actually reaches out and touches a leper. So you didn't do that in Jesus' day. When someone was diagnosed with leprosy, it was like a life sentence. And you've heard the story. They'll send you out to a leper's colony, and you might be out there the rest of your life. You were cut off from society, separated from your family. If you met anyone along the way, you had to call out and say, unclean, unclean, you know, avoid me. I mean, it's like the ultimate social distancing. I mean, you just stay away from me. I'm terrible. And if you, if you happen to inadvertently touch someone affected with leprosy, you were ceremonially unclean. You were unfit to celebrate the Sabbath or any of the religious Jewish holidays of the time. And so here are these people. They're afflicted by this terrible, painful disease that causes them to do all kinds of damage and harm to their body. And really in those days, they didn't understand it. It just seemed like kind of a curse from God, and no one really knew what what caused it, but it was like, wow, stay away from those people. We don't want that. And so we find ourselves today in this world that's full of pain, don't we? Now, I've entitled the sermon, The Gift of Pain. The Gift of Pain. And you might say, well, that's certainly an oxymoron. What are you talking about? You know, that sounds contradictory. That's like jumbo shrimp. That's like uh, a military intelligence. That's like the up escalator. And, and why do we park in the driveway and drive on the parkway? I mean, this doesn't make sense, Greg. The gift of pain, really? So we might say, well, where did pain come from? When did it begin? Well, one needs to look no further than Genesis chapter 3, where we see man and woman in the garden in this perfect state, and we see them there in, in, this, in this garden, in this paradise. And, and God only gives them one prohibition, just don't eat from that tree. 
Well, Satan comes along, and like he always does, did God really say, don't do that? I mean, he begins to make you question in your mind, did really God prohibit that? Is that really that wrong? And then he kind of takes the angle of, you know what? God's holding out on you. There's really more blessing. There's, there's a better life. There's, a, there's something that you have yet to experience, and if you'll just do it, you know, God's holding out. You know, anytime someone questions the goodness of God, you know that it's a cult. You know that it's an error. It's a falsehood. It is a deception and a temptation. Anytime somebody comes along and says, God, you know, you really believe that? Is he really that good? Yeah, he's really that good. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it for a minute. But we understand that pain comes in as, as Adam and Eve succumb to that temptation. And there are consequences. I mean, it's the way God set up the world. And so the consequences are that, that death and disease and dying enter into the human race. Right? We understand that. And so um, Adam and Eve probably begin to see themselves experience physical illness for the first time, perhaps. They, they begin to see themselves aging. As they look in the reflection in the clear pool, they, they begin to realize that they don't have the stamina they did once when they were younger. And then eventually Adam and Eve will succumb to death, as all people will. Well, there's another little part of the curse. If we talk about pain and the gift of pain, we suddenly realize God says, you know, and in childbirth you will give birth to the woman. To the man, he says, by the sweat of your brow, you will toil the ground all the days of your life. In other words, you're going to have to mess with bad weather, floods, hail, pestilence, all kinds of stuff, and it's going to be hard to make a living. Pain enters the world that we live. It's just a part of who we are, and, and it's just something that we can't avoid. And yet there's this guy, this guy who lived some years back. His name was Dr. Paul Brand, and he makes this rash statement. He has the unmitigated gall, the audacity to say this, if I held in my hands the power to eliminate physical pain from the world, I would not exercise it. Wow, really? You have, if you had the power to, to snap your finger and all the pain and all the problems of life would go away, wouldn't we do it? And he's saying, at least in this life, until Jesus comes back, no, I wouldn't, because pain is a gift. And we'll come back to Dr. Brand. But let us imagine a world without pain. A world without pain would be heaven. A world without pain would be, you know, uh, uh, you know absent of all the drugs and, and pharmaceuticals and, uh, you know, the drug abuse and the opioid crisis and all the people that are, you know, just medicating themselves to death. There would be no pain treatment centers. Uh, you know, when you get to be 50, you remember that, that ibuprofen is your best friend. You just, you will learn that, young people, someday that all those old football injuries and farm injuries and all those, you know, things that you didn't think would hurt you will come back to kind of haunt you when you get to be 50 or older, right? And you start feeling those things uh, when that hay bale came off the conveyor and pile-drived you in the top of the barn. Just remember that. It, uh, it kind of messes up things. Now, we'll come back to Dr. Brand, but as we look at our passages, we think about Jesus reaching out, violating the social norms, intervening in this leper's life and healing him. What are some of the things that we could take away from this? And why would we say that, that pain is a gift? Well, let's just establish right now that every one of you are either experiencing pain or you will experiencing pain. It is something that is common 
to every person. It's something that we, nobody gets a pass, nobody's immune, right? Sooner or later, as hard as you try to avoid all the pitfalls and the problems and the pains and hardships of life, something's going to sneak up and get you. I wish it weren't so, but it is. We sang in the song, as Romans 8 says, Paul says, for we all groan. We long for that day when the Lord redeems this earth, when he he transforms it back into that beautiful place that it was before sin entered in. And we are longing for that day when our bodies are redeemed, when, when the old self, when this, this old fleshly self, this old Adam suit is done away with, and we're able to get back to the way we were originally created to be, to live for eternity. We're given those resurrection bodies, and we long for that, don't we? I love that song that we sang today. We long for that. We know that there's a better life. There's something within us that just shouts out and cries for this, this new life, this, this new existence, which we call heaven. And Jesus says in Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. He's going to finish it someday at his second coming. Just know that, and it will be what he intended it to be. You know, I think about my own life, and, and you know, for the first about 54 years of my life, I pretty much was able to avoid a lot, of, a lot of pain and problems. I mean, I had childhood allergies, and I maybe had the flu once. Uh, still didn't have any cavities at 54. But suddenly one day, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, and he says, you know you have a pancreatic tumor. You know, I'm not going to go over and over that story a lot, but just to say that our, our sense of invincibility, our sense of being Uberman, Superman, is going to be dashed and thrown in the, in the scrap heap someday. And I, and I have to admit, I think I had become a little smug in my health, in the good health that God had given me, or as C.S. Lewis says, my good digestion. But I, I don't know that God humbled me or knocked me down, but I'm just saying that sooner or later, pain's going to come into your life. Something's going to come into your life that you can't anticipate or you never thought you would experience. And uh, it's going to be a different day. It's going to, it's going to be kind of a good day because we need to, real, we need to recognize uh, our mortality. We need to recognize that, that we don't live forever. And it's probably good for us in a, in a lot of ways to experience this COVID thing because I think what I see in people and the reason why we normally have 120 when we meet here but we've had, Dan can tell me, 260 to 300 some people who view our service every week is because I think people are looking for answers and they're, they're finally coming face to face with their mortality and that you really can't hide from death and disease, that sooner or later we all have to face something. And it's probably a good, honest place. It's, it probably scares us at first. It's frightening at first to deal with the prospect of our mortality, but eventually we realize that that's just where we are as human beings and we need to deal with that. You know, in fact, one of the truths that's helped me deal with the things that I've confronted in life, I don't know about you, but just is knowing that I'm not the only one who's ever experienced that. I think we have this tendency to, to kind of take things that happen to us and to become very egocentrical and to make it all about us. You know, God, why did this happen to me? Really? You know, like you're the only person that exists? I mean, we get the Elijah syndrome. You remember what he did after he had that contest with the prophets on Mount Carmel and and, uh, you know, God defeated them, and he runs off because he hears that uh, uh, the wicked queen Jezebel has a hit uh, placed on him. You know, she's put a price on his head, and so he runs as far as he can out into the desert, and he just collapses in an exhausted heap under this juniper tree out there in the desert, and he begs for God to just kind of take him out. And he goes into this kind of woe-is-me, pitiful-me mode. Lord, I'm the only one serving you. I'm the only one being faithful. And God has to remind Elijah, no. 
I still have 6,000 or 7,000 men who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one being faithful, Elijah. You're not the only one having problems. You're not the only one uh, being affected by the stuff in life. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. I think it's up on the, on the slide behind me, where he says, No temptation, and that could be trial, problem, pain. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. A lot of you need to make that your life verse. A lot of you need to commit that to memory. Because it will help you out of a, a lot of self-pity and, and woe is me and I'm the only one and why did this happen to me, God? It'll really help you out. Because if I was the only person in the world that had ever got cancer, it, it would be one thing. But there's a gazillion people that have had far worse things than I had. And I just need to realize that I, this is just part of being a human being. And that what I experienced in having that is it's just what's common to man. It's, it's nothing unusual. I'm not special. Okay? I'm just human. And just knowing that, that uh, someone else has experienced that. You know, we said last week that loneliness is the number one mental health crisis in America today. And that was before COVID hit. That's a startling thing. And I think that when people suffer with something and they're lonely already, it just exacerbates the sense of I'm the only one, I'm by myself, it's me against the world, I don't have anybody in my corner. No, you got a lot of people in your corner and you're not the only one. And I think it just helps us to deal with the problems of life when we can come together as a body and you can know there are people who love you, who care about you, who want to bear that burden with you. A burden shared is half as heavy, remember, the old proverb. And we need to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for you. And we're to share our problems with one another and to not do it alone. Don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. If you're lonely, it's by your choice. But come up uh, and be a part of God's people and don't bear that burden alone. Now, the second thing I would say about pain and so forth is that our physical and emotional pain turns out to be a gift that can actually drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the answers and to the healing that is available in Him. You know, if we have something happen, it ought to force us to say, Okay, God, you have my absolute and undivided attention, right? Now, let's talk about this Dr. Brand who said, as we said a while ago, if I held in my hands the power to eradicate the world of pain and of suffering, I wouldn't do it. Who is Dr. Brand? Well, Dr. Brand was a kind of a trend-setting researcher, ground-breaking doctor who discovered more than the world had ever known to this point about leprosy. Uh, he went to a, uh, a leper's camp in India, and he worked there for several years among the leper's colonies of India. And he really, he dispelled all of the, really, the myths of the medical community of that day uh, I mean, it was as radical as the first guy who suggested that doctors should wash their hands between patients and before surgeries. And what he discovered was is that actually, <clears throat> you know, what, what leprosy is, is it's not a degenerative flesh disease. They thought it was something that got in your bloodstream and caused your flesh to deteriorate and so forth. That no, that's not what it was at all. That what it is, is that it's a paralysis of the extremities. In other words, your hands and your feet, your nose, different parts of your ears, you, you begin to lose sensation in those extremities. And as you did, 
you would stick them in the fire and burn them, or as you're cooking, using utensils, you're, you're damaging your hands. Maybe you're out in the cold and you don't realize that your hands are frozen. You end up with frostbite. You're walking and you're walking on nails and rocks and things that are cutting your feet up and damaging your feet and so forth. And so what he found was, is no, it's not a degenerative uh, disease of the flesh, that it's actually this paralysis where people are injuring themselves. And so he came to the point in his life where he said that, no, actually pain is a great gift from God that tells us when we're hurting ourselves. We need the, the sensation of pain. And I, and I was thinking about that in our own lives, that, you know, we need that for the physical pain so that we don't damage ourselves physically, but we also need that emotionally and spiritually, don't we? Because of the way that I see most people damaging themselves today is that they, they have this inner pain. It might be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be this sense of, of, of a lack of joy or unhappiness in their life. And they're not associating it with what they're doing and their behavior or how they're believing. You see, they're believing in things that will not bring joy, will not bring wholeness and happiness. And so I, I think it's just important that if we're here and we're exper experiencing an emotional or psychological pain, that we need to say, okay, God, this is a gift. This is telling me that something isn't right. I need to talk to a professional, whether it's a counselor or a pastor uh, or a doctor. I need to figure out why am I having these thoughts? Why am I feeling this way so much? Why are my relationships blowing apart all the time? Why do I sabotage myself in relationships? Why, why do I have this continual, ongoing, you know, argument and, and discontent with other people? That pain is trying to tell you something. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us about his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? And he says there that... Uh, uh, a thorn in the flesh was sent to him to humble him because of the exceeding visions and things that he had experienced as God gave him revelation. And he said that, I prayed three times earnestly that the Lord would take this thorn away, but instead, what did the Lord say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness, right? That's a lot to grasp. If you can grasp that, you're a long way down the road toward, toward peace and joy in your life. But what I, what, I, what I love about that is that even in this life, if we don't experience necessarily the healing we want or, or whatever, we can embrace the thing that's come into our life, that pain, and we can still feel whole and content and not feel like there's something that we've got to fix all the time. In other words, he finally embraced that pain, that thorn in the flesh, and said, okay, okay, by God's grace, it's here. And I'm going to embrace it and let it teach me what it can teach me. Let it humble me. And, and I'm not going to try to resist it and avoid it. That's what we always try to do. Is we just try to get rid of all the pain immediately. We don't want to feel it. We don't want to experience it. And that's not what Paul said to do. In Romans 5, he shares the most radical concept about suffering and pain for you and I. And listen to what he says beginning in verse 3. And not only this, but we, that's you and me, the believer, we exult in our tribulations. In other words, we celebrate tribulations and problems. We welcome them. We exult knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint. It's not saying that you and I are spiritual masochists. 
No one likes to suffer. No one likes pain. But what he's saying is, if you live in this fallen world, sooner or later, something's coming into your life that you don't like, and it's going to hurt. It may be emotional, it may be physical, but something's coming your way because of who we are as, as people in a fallen world wearing the Adam suit, right? And he's just saying, don't try to avoid it, don't try to run away from it, just embrace it for what it is, trust God, and see what there is in that for him to teach us. No one loves that. The third thing I would say about pain is, is like the leper, we should recognize that Jesus is the only source, ultimately, for our healing and the pain of our suffering, right? He's the only one that we should go to. He's the one who has the solution. He's the one who has the answer. But healing doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have perfect life or zero pain in, in our life. Healing means that ability to embrace, trust, and grasp what's going on. Uh, you know, as I said before, emotional illness and loneliness is the number one health crisis in our country today. And I think that a lot of people are really struggling with that. And, and you know, we've talked about reasons why, because, you know, we're over-inundated by media and social media, and we hear about every problem in the world, and, and uh, we were talking you know, before about how, you know, when you, you think about the social platforms that you can communicate, what do those usually end up being, at least the way I see them, is it becomes this battleground where people are taking these shots at one another and barbs at one another. You, you know, you can't hardly post something on Facebook without somebody jumping on that and disagreeing or scolding you. And I mean, we were just never really meant to have that much tension and and, and disagreement and, and, uh, and stress in our lives. It's really just a matter of stress management. And if you need to tune out of some of that stuff, I mean, if watching the nightly news is upsetting because it's just like, let's go find the worst possible news that we can find and just put that back to back with more bad stuff and, you know, more racial tension and more everybody's going to die in the world. And then we get over inundated with that, don't we? And I, and I think we need to realize that some people aren't, experiencing a physical pain but they're experiencing an emotional pain c.s lewis says mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain but it's more common and it's harder to bear i mean here's a guy who was writing in the 1940s and 50s he says the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden because it's always easier to say my tooth is aching than to say that my heart is broken he's right isn't he you know that it's it's easy to to come and say you know hey you know i you know, I think I pulled a quad, you know, playing football last night. We're, we're, we'll do that. Or, yeah, man, I got this terrible headache, you know. But how many times are we open enough and comfortable enough around other people to say, you know what, I'm really dealing with this thing right now, and it's got me down, and I don't know what to do. I don't see any way out, and I'm really depressed. You know, it's a lot harder to do that. But we need to have the freedom. And that's what I love about Christian community is, this ought to be a safe place where in small groups and one-on-one -on -one and, and as you know your elder, your, your deacon or a Christian friend that you can go to them and you can share that burden because a burden shared is half as heavy and we need to be sharing those burdens, don't we? We definitely need to do that. Now let me ask another question. What if you don't get the healing from Jesus that you'd like to have? I've known people in my lifetime that I know they're like Paul. They prayed their whole life for God to remove that thorn, whatever it was, a physical disability, a, a 
a really painful marriage they were in. I've, I've, I've had people throughout my life as a pastor, and I know they've dealt with some incredible, you know, lifelong things that they prayed their whole life, and it just never went away. You know, the son who was born with cerebral palsy and had to operate in a, in a me- mechanized chair their whole life, and there was, just, there was just no way, barring some medical breakthrough in science, that that boy was going to get up out of that chair what do we do? What do we, what do we say to people then? How do, we, how do we process that? And that's where there's really no great answers, right? I mean, that's where we're just like, my grace is sufficient for you. I mean, that, that has to be our fallback. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Behold, I am making all things new. It won't always be this way. Like the one guy who was Randy Alcorn, he was talking about the, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he's, he said, imagine a line that runs from eternity past to eternity future. Okay, imagine that. And he draws this line across this great big chalkboard. And then he walks up and he takes his marker and he puts a little dot on that line. And he says, you know what that is? That's your life. <laughs> he says... So don't live for the dot, live for the line, right? That helps a little bit to put our pain in perspective that, that even if we don't find healing in this life, that it's not forever. It's not forever. And if you have that and you pray and you give it to God, He will give you the grace to say things like, like Job said when Job said, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And though he slay me, still, I'll trust in him. He gives us grace to say things like that. To say that, you know what, it's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's really not my life anymore anyway, right? And... He gives us grace to say things like, you know what, I may die soon, but it doesn't matter because for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And I'd rather hang around for fruitful ministry from you, but I'd rather go on because that's far better. But I think I'll hang around as long as God allows me time and, and breath and, and try, to be a, try, to, to try to minister to you guys. That's what he said in Philippians. You see, God gives us the grace to say those kind of things. And I, I've seen people throughout my life who had incredible things, and they, they didn't become bitter. They didn't give up. They, they didn't run away from God and give up on God. They hung in there with Him, and they, they struggled with that continually. And, you know, that's kind of my takeaway when I read Job, is not this guy who had all this, you know, you know, innocent suffering and things afflicted upon him that really made no sense at all. That's really not what I take away from Job. What I take away from Job is this guy who has this unshakable trust in God, and God has this unshakable love and grace toward Job. And no matter what happens to Job, the whole storyline of the book is this ongoing conversation between Job and God. That's what I take away from Job, is that he never stopped talking to God. He never gave up on God and just said, I'm done with you, and I'm just going to figure this out as best I can on my own. That's not what he did. All of us know someone who's had something that doesn't go away. 
but I've also seen God come in and give them the grace they need to bear up under that. Finally, once having experienced the healing touch of Jesus, we ought to be willing like him to reach out and touch the hurting, the sin-mangled, the lepers of our own day with the message and the compassion of Jesus, right? This really is our marching order. This is really our model for how we look at the world, how we do ministry, how we decide whether we're going to get involved in people's lives. <clears throat> Some of you know Ravi Zacharias, one of the great apologists of our day. And uh, sadly, I understand that he is in the last stages of cancer and nearly to pass if he hasn't already this morning. <clears throat> but I love this guy. He was from India, Indian-born, um, became one of the greatest spokesmen for defenders of Christianity that I've ever known in my lifetime. And I remember uh, in his book, The Lotus and the Cross, where he's talking about this imaginary conversation that this, this girl who's ravaged by all kinds of disease, who's been sold into prostitution by her parents in Thailand, and she's in this boat with Jesus and Buddha, and they're both speaking into each ear, trying to help her, you know, process why all this stuff happened to her. And, you know, what comes out in the conversation from Buddha that Ravi brings out is, is that the Eastern way of understanding you know, our ethic and our morality as far as getting involved in people's lives is radically different than the Christian morality and ethic about ministry and getting involved in life, right? Because the, the Eastern mystic thinks that life is this series of uh, reincarnations, of death and reincarnation, and each life that you live, you earn a particular uh, karma, and if you've done good, you move up toward nirvana. If you do bad, you move down to lower states of life. And so <clears throat> if you look at someone, and I, let's say I look at you and you're dealing with this huge problem, you've had this terrible thing happen to you, I'm not going to get involved in your life because, hey, it's not for me to mess with your karma, right? I, that would be interfering with what God's plan is for you and what He's doing in your life, and I don't want to do that. And so that's why, you know, they don't really battle trafficking in those countries sometimes because the underlying belief system is, is that, hey, we, we shouldn't get involved. You know, there's no Red Cross, you know, in Eastern countries, right? That's, that's something that's a product of a, of a Western Christian culture who understands that, yes, as, as Cain would, you know, sarcastically, rhetorically ask God, when, when, when God asked him where his brother Abel was, he said, Am I my brother's keeper? And of course, the answer to that rhetorical question is, Absolutely, you are. And Jesus will show us in the Sermon on the Mount, He'll show us through His life, His involvement, and in getting involved in the lives of, of broken people, and, and through you know, such things as the Good Samaritan and that story about how even you do good to your enemies. We do get involved in people's lives. That's our marching orders for ministry. And Jesus dared to step into this leper's life and to do what his society would have thought was extreme and crazy and to touch this leper and to heal him. What might be the modern-day equivalent of a, of a group of people with AIDS or a group of people with Ebola or coronavirus. And Jesus was willing to step into that. He, he moved toward that. He didn't run away from that. He didn't say, well, that's just your karma and you're on your own. That is our Christian ethic. That's what drives us as God's people to intervene for the good of others. Now, we don't just insert ourselves in the middle of everybody's business. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying as God's people and as He gives us opportunity, it is the right thing to do 
to do the right thing for people, to intervene in brokenness of people's lives and to do what we can and to bring the healing of Jesus that we can. Paul makes it clear that we have a moral obligation to minister others to others with the grace that we ourselves have experienced. I'm going to close with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Here's our marching orders. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you're a believer, God has come to your aid enough times. He's given you His grace and comfort. And now you have an obligation to extend that grace and comfort to others. Amen? So, again, here's Jesus. This is incredible. Just think about what He's doing. Touching and healing a despicable leper and making him whole. And the leper, I love what he says. He says, Lord, if you're willing, dispels any of the kind of the, um, uh, you know, health and wealth, name it and claim it sort of gospel, right? It's, it's God's will. He said, if you will. It's not like, Lord, I'm going to pray and you're going to be bound by the faithfulness of my prayer to heal me. No, none of that. It's just, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, I'm willing, be thou cleansed.